Now tonight I want you to turn with me to the fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel. The fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel. I'm not going to read it because it's too long to read. But I'm going to tell you the story because it's the story of Jesus' encounter with a demon-possessed man. And I want to talk tonight about the devil and demons and witches and wizards. Jesus Christ had just crossed the Sea of Galilee. He had been in a little boat and he was tired. Now Jesus was divine, he was God, but he was also human. He got tired, he got thirsty. And he was asleep in this boat and a storm came up. And you remember the story. The disciples became afraid and they said, Master, we're going to perish. They were terrified. And Jesus stood up in the boat and held up his hand and said, Peace be still. The wind calmed down. The lightning quit flashing. The thunder quit roaring. And the disciples were even more afraid. They said, What manner of man is this that even the winds obey him? They had not yet come to the full recognition that here was the master of all the ages, the king of kings and lord of lords and god of very gods. But they got on the other side of the little sea of Galilee and there they met a strange sight, a wild man, a naked man, bleeding from head to toe from wounds self-inflicted, came running and screaming toward them. And the Bible says, that he was possessed by a demon. You say, now, Billy, do you believe that they were really demons? Yes, I believe that they were real demons in Jesus' day, and I believe they're real demons right now. There is a real devil. There's a real devil in the world now. The Bible teaches it, and we can see evidences of his work everywhere. And all of us that are living the Christian life meet him every day because we're in a conflict, not with flesh and blood, the Bible says, but with spiritual forces, principalities and powers and rulers of the dark places. There is a devil and there are demons. Now, they may be more sophisticated in America than they are some other parts of the world, but they're demons nevertheless. And you know, it's an interesting thing when people come to me and say that the average intelligent American no longer believes in demons and devils. Well, I want to tell you the average American does because according to a poll taken a few weeks ago, 65% of all Americans believe in a personal devil. And 85% of all Americans believe in demons. And there is a revival in America and in Europe and in other parts of the world in devil worship. You see, every time there's a spiritual revival, and I believe that America right now is in the middle of a spiritual revival among young people, the devil is busy sowing his tares and he has a revival. So the devil's revival is on now. And we have hundreds and thousands of people today that are actually worshiping the devil. Our newspapers and magazines are filled with stories. One of our major magazines had its cover story just the other day on devil worship that is spreading across America. Sir Cyril Black, who's been a member of parliament for many years, said something that I could hardly believe the other day is quoted in the newspapers. 
He said 80% of the young people in Great Britain today have been in touch with wizards and witches. And the story in the paper the other day, did you read it about those villages outside of Moscow that are infested with demons and witches and the communists don't know what to do about it? And a paper a few days ago said that millions of Americans are going over to yoga masters, voodoo, priests, sorcerers, psychic seers for their spiritual guidance. You see, man has to have some sort of a supernatural power beyond himself to follow. And many times if he doesn't follow God, the true God, he's going to manufacture a God or he'll just follow the devil straight out. You see, in California, where we've just come from in a crusade, the Jesus people everywhere are wearing the historic symbols of Christianity. But the Satan worshipers out there are also wearing their horns, their warlocks, their astrological signs to protect them against their own demons. Twenty-five years ago, parapsychology was almost unheard of in science. Today, it's a major course in many universities. It seems to me that all we've done is taken prayer and God out of the schools and we're putting the devil right in. And the study of demons. A well-known student leader said the other day, quoted in the press, legions of demons, which had previously concentrated on other cultures, are now invading the youth culture of America. You know, movies like Rosemary's Baby, Mike Jagger's Sympathy with the Devil. And there's one bookstore in San Francisco they told us about that had ten shelves of paperbacks on the subject of the devil. New books on the subject of the devil. Pope Paul VI spoke about it some time ago. The United Presbyterian Church's commission says the devil is alive and well. I've just written a, a, a book, a new book, called uh, The Jesus Generation. It's on the book stands now throughout the country. And I've got a chapter in there entitled The Devil is Alive and Kicking. And he is. He's alive and he's kicking. And one of our major magazines is doing a major cover story right now on the devil. And the reason I know they're doing it, they interviewed me. Now, I'm not the subject of what they're talking about. <laughs> now, what does Satan mean in the Bible? The word Satan that is used so often in the Bible, it comes from a Greek word. And the word devils comes from another word, demonia. And the Bible has a lot to say about these demons. It says that they're capable of entering and controlling a man. They can enter you, and control you. The Bible says that they're spoken of all the way through the Bible as unclean, violent, and malicious. The Bible says that they're in conflict even with Christians. Now, I do not believe that a Christian can be possessed of the devil. I do not believe that a true born-again believer can be demon-possessed. 
but the demons will bother you and irritate you and harass you and work on you night and day. And the moment you receive Christ as Savior, you'll know the devil's very much alive. We are wrestling, not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Now, every person, you listen to this, every person outside of Christ is in danger of demon possession. You are a possible subject of demon possession. You know, one of the terrible features of the judgment at the end of the world is going to be that new demons are going to be let out of the bottomless pit and they are going to be powerful personages that are going to cause violence and trouble throughout the world. And I sometimes think some of them must have been released in the last few years. The demon of drugs. There's a relationship between sorcery and witchcraft and drugs according to the Bible. The demon of alcoholism. Seven million chronic alcoholics in America made invalids by alcohol. Sex obsession. I've met people that tell me that they're actually obsessed with it. They can think of nothing else. They're just like the people of Noah's day whose imaginations were evil continually till the judgment came. I believe that a great deal of this is demon power that we have to reckon with in our generation. Now, demons also know what their future is, as we're going to see in a few minutes in this story. They know that they're headed toward hell. There's going to come a day when demons will be eradicated from this earth and there's going to come a day when the Bible teaches the devil is going to be bound and then the devil is going to be cast into the lake of fire. What a wonderful day that's going to be. Because that'll be the day when all war is over with. That'll be a day when all the policemen will have nothing to do. That'll be a day when the kingdom of God is going to prevail from one end of the world to the other. Because the devil, since the Garden of Eden, has been stirring things up. He tries to get us hate each other because of the color of our skin. He tries to get us all stirred up on every kind of issue and to fight and to kill and lust and hate. The devil is busy. You say, Billy, that's not just the devil, that's ourselves. Of course. But you see, we fell from our fellowship with God because of the temptation of the devil. The devil was there in the beginning and he's been there all the time. And the only power in the world that can overcome Satan is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can say in the name of Christ and it frightens him. You can quote the word of God and he will flee. You know, Jesus was attacked by the devil in the wilderness when he was weak from thirst and hunger. The devil came and attacked him three times. Jesus never argued with him. He never debated with him. What did Jesus do? Jesus just quoted Scripture. That's the reason it's important for you to memorize Scripture. That's the reason we give you verses to memorize when you come to Christ. It's important for you to memorize Scripture so that you'll have Scripture to quote to the devil in the hour of temptation. Now, the Bible teaches that God never tempts anybody. 
If you're tempted to do wrong, that's the devil tempting you. And the way to overcome that temptation is to quote Scripture and to be filled with the Spirit of God and walking in the will of God as Jesus was in the temptation. Now I want you to notice this man that came running toward Jesus that day when he landed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Notice some of the things about him. It says an unclean spirit indwelt him. Look at all the filth and the pollution in America today. I'm not talking about the atmospheric pollution. That's bad enough. I'm talking about the moral pollution. We have an unclean spirit that seems to have settled over America and over the world. It seems that people are sitting down and trying to think up new ways to do evil, new ways to violence, new ways to hate, new ways for sex perversion. An unclean spirit was in control of that man and Jesus looked upon that unclean spirit as a supernatural power. And then notice he wore no clothes. Look at the increase in nudity today. I wonder if the devil has something to do with that. You can hardly go to a movie, I'm told, today that doesn't have a nude scene in it. Our obsession with nudity. This man had no clothes on. And then notice he was mentally deranged. One out of every four Americans right now, one out of every four families is affected some way by mental derangement. Over half of all hospital beds in America at this hour are occupied by mental patients. Could a great deal of this be demons? I don't know because I could not say that everybody that is in a mental hospital has a demon. That's not true. Many of them have organic problems and psychological problems that may have nothing to do with the devil. But there are many people, I'm convinced, that are under the control and the power and the influence of demons who suffer from mental derangement. And then notice that he was uncontrollable. Nobody could control this fellow. They tried to tie him up. They tried to put him in prison. They tried to put him in a mental institution. He broke out. He seemed to have supernatural power. And he was a violent man. Has there ever been an hour when there's been so much violence? Everybody wants peace and they hold up the peace sign. And we all believe in peace, but somehow we don't get peace. Violence and rioting and killing and murder. Some newspapers today in our big cities don't even print the murders any longer. There's so many every night. They just list them in one spot. And you can look over at a certain place and you just read it like you would a baseball score. How many muggings last night? How many rapings last night? How many murders last night? Violence, violence, violence. This is one of the characteristics of the devil and demons. And I want to tell you, we're not going to stop it just with more police power. We've got to have prayer power and spiritual power. We've got to have people on their knees praying. And we must have a spiritual awakening in this country. And then notice he dwelt among the dead. The Bible says that this fellow lived out in the tombs. He lived in a cemetery. And did you know the Bible teaches that we are dead in sins and trespasses before we come to Christ? 
Your body is alive, but your soul, your spirit is dead toward God. You need to be made alive. And you could be made alive tonight if you let Jesus touch your life. And then another characteristic of this fellow, the Bible says that he cut himself. You know, the abuse that we pour on ourselves because of guilt. Did you know that almost all of us have guilt? And we abuse ourselves, and we Americans somehow take great pleasure in tormenting ourselves and telling ourselves how bad we are and how bad we are. And this is a guilt that we have. And we're trying to torment ourselves. We're guilty over the fact that we're rich compared to other nations of the world. We carry a guilt around. We carry a guilt around, around about the race problem. Both sides carry guilt, and some of our problems are caused by this guilt. We carry guilt about all kinds of things. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ can come into your heart right now and take that guilt away. He can wash the past away. Have you had race prejudice? He'll take it away. He can give you love in your heart. Have you broken God's moral law and you've committed sin? He'll take it away and wash it away and give you a power to resist temptation tomorrow. And Jesus stood face to face with this wild, angry, violent, naked, bleeding man. And inside the man, a supernatural voice began to speak and say, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the living God? Don't torment us. What have I to do with thee? The rich man says, I don't need the gospel because it's for the poor. The intellectual says, oh, it's for the working, it's for the uh, uneducated. The common man says, I can't understand it. The radical says, it's not revolutionary enough. What have I to do with thee? I want to tell you, every one of us has something to do with it. And if you don't have something to do with him in this life, you're going to have something to do with him in the future life. Because there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God. You may not bow your knee down here to him, but there's coming a day when you will bow your knee. You will be forced to bow your knee in that day when we shall all stand before him. Jesus said, what is your name? He wasn't talking to the man. He was talking to the demon in the man, and out came the answer. We are legion. We are many. This man wasn't occupied by just one devil. He had many devils. It says about Mary Magdalene that she had seven devils. Think of it, seven demons possessing one person. Jesus, all of a sudden, commanded as he did the sea, the night before. He said, come out of the man. And then those demons prayed a prayer. Now, there were three prayers prayed that day. Two of them were answered. One was not answered. Notice here, the demons prayed a prayer. They immediately recognized Jesus. They knew him to be the Son of God. They knew that he had power over them. They knew that he could send them to hell. So they prayed. They said, Jesus, please don't send us to hell. 
You see those swine up there? 2,000 hogs. Send us to the hogs. We'd rather go there and live in the hogs than to go to hell. And you know what happened? Jesus answered the prayer of the demons. He sent the demons to the swine. How terrible hell must be if the demons want to stay out of there and they'd rather live with the hogs and live in the hogs and live like a hog. Immediately the hogs became wild. They became violent. They began to run and they ran over a cliff and drowned in the sea. And then the second prayer took place because all the businessmen in town came out. All the leaders of the little town came out to see what was happening. And there they saw the man that they'd had so much trouble with, this violent, naked man sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, smiling, absolutely transformed and changed, but they weren't interested in him. All they could think about were the hogs. They were more interested in economics than they were in spiritual transformation. So they prayed the most terrible prayer, I think, in the Bible. They said, Jesus, leave us alone. Leave our coast, leave our town. We don't want you. You know what happened? Jesus answered their prayer. He left and he never, never came back. And it's possible for you to say, Lord, leave me alone. You see, the Spirit of God is speaking to hundreds of you right here tonight. He's making you uncomfortable. He's speaking to you now. And you're just about to say, leave me alone, Holy Spirit. Don't disturb me. Don't make me uncomfortable. Don't let my conscience bother me so deeply and you're about to say, leave me alone, he may answer that prayer. And he never came back. How many times in the Bible you find that a man had one chance and he missed it? He had one hour with God and missed it. Or one hour with God and he took the advantage of it. Look at Zacchaeus. A big crowd was coming through his town and he heard that Jesus, the famous Galilean teacher, was passing by and coming in. And Zacchaeus was a short man and he couldn't see Jesus, so he climbed up a sycamore tree. And he was looking at Jesus and all of a sudden Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house and eat with you today. Zacchaeus jumped to the ground and D.L. Moody said he was converted from the limb to the ground. And he was transformed and changed and he was a tax gatherer and he'd been taking money from the people without authority. And he told Jesus, I'm going to give it back fourfold. He was repenting and making restitution of his sins when he met Jesus. That could happen to you. The people requested that Jesus leave and he left. Now another prayer was made. The man that had been touched and the man that had been healed, he prayed a prayer. What was his prayer? He said, Lord, this is wonderful. 
I've been changed, I've been transformed, I've been converted, I've been saved. I want to go with you, I want to live with you. From now on, Jesus said no. That's the prayer that Jesus refused to answer. He said, go back to your home. Go back to the same address. Go back to your village. Go back to your town. Go back to your school. Go back to your family. And tell what great things God has done for you. You see, we get in a great crusade like this and here's a great crowd of 43,000 people here tonight and we say, isn't this wonderful, all this great music? How wonderful! Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could stay on this high all the time? Jesus said, no. Where it really counts is back where you live, back where you go to school. I've got a chapter in my new book called Getting High and staying high. You know, the Bible teaches that there are many highs, but there are also some lows. You read the book of Psalms. I read five Psalms every day. How many times the psalmist was down at the very bottom looking up to sea bottom? There are highs and lows, but in the midst of it all, there's the Spirit of the living God to give you joy and peace there are certain rivers for the Christian that run very deep. 